Let's pray. Father, we ask today that you will reveal your word to us. And you will reveal our heart to ourselves. And Father, we pray also that your Holy Spirit will bring life and will bring ministry to us, Lord. Strengthen us. Give us sharpness the whole day, O Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. John chapter 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus says that he has come to reveal the father. In his actions, in his behavior, in his preaching, Jesus was revealing the father. He was revealing God. So now Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Come, let's repeat that after me. One, two, three. He who has seen me has seen the Father. To know the Heavenly Father, we look at Jesus. Because Jesus has come to reveal the Father. In fact, if we look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Look at verse 3. Who, that is referring to Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So the Bible is saying here that Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. Okay? And the express image of the person of God. The word express image means the very same picture. It's like comparing your face to your portrait. To your photograph. The very same picture. The express image of the person of God. That means who God is. His nature. His characteristic. And also the brightness of his glory. That means his power. The power with which Jesus walked upon the earth. Is also the power of God. In his life. Amen. So Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of the person of God. That means Jesus and God were the same. If you looked at Jesus in the way that he had compassion for the woman caught in adultery, and in the way that he treated people, in the way that he ministered to the sick, in the compassion that he had for people whenever he met them, the little children also, the Father, if He came to the earth in the flesh, the Father would have done the same. There is no difference between Jesus and the Father. And that's why Jesus is saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What do we see in Jesus that reveals to us who the Father is? We see a God of compassion. 
The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion for the sick, for the lost. We see a God who is always reaching out to meet the needs of people. The sick were healed. The hungry were fed. The broken were touched. The demon possessed were delivered. Jesus did not go putting sickness on anyone. Some people say nowadays that if you are sick, God made you sick to teach you a lesson. Have you heard that? But Jesus did not put sickness on anyone to teach them a lesson. In fact, Jesus healed people from sickness. So, we have to be very careful in how we interpret the Bible from the old to the new. And the conclusions that we come to the Word of God cannot be different from what we see in Jesus' life. Are you following me? If you read the Bible, you should read the Bible with a Jesus-centric view. What I mean is that you cannot come to any conclusion from the Bible that is different from the view of God that Jesus is revealing, that Jesus is portraying. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus is perfect theology. Job is not perfect theology, in a sense, because we do not come to conclusions about God based on Job. There are reasons and there are answers that are there in Job that we need to interpret correctly, comparing it with all the counsel of Scripture. We cannot take Job by itself and start questioning God. Many people tell me when they're going through very deep crisis in their life, I am like Job. They compare themselves to Job. And they try to answer the difficulties, the sicknesses they're going through, through Job. No. See, you must answer your life's questions by looking at Jesus. Can you say Amen? Amen. So what does Jesus reveal about God? Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We know that God is creator. God is provider. God is almighty God. We know that God is El Shaddai. God is all powerful. God is omnipotent, omnipresent. We know all those characteristics of God. But Jesus comes to reveal God primarily as Father. Okay. Jesus uses a term to address God called Abba that is not used in the Old Testament. So let's look at that. John chapter 20 verse 17. Jesus said to her after his resurrection, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Underline that. I have not yet ascended to my Father. So Jesus addresses God as my Father or my Abba. Now, John is written here in Greek. The word Father here is Pater because it's in Greek. But Jesus did not speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. So, he would not have said my Pater. He would have said my Abba. Because he's also speaking to Mary, with whom in the past she spoke, he spoke Aramaic, right? But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father 
And look at the next phrase. And your father. And to my God and your God. This is saying now that the father or the God to whom I am ascending to is my God. He's also your God. But more than that, he's my father and he's also your father. Amen. So now we need to view God not just as creator. Not just as almighty God. Not just as all-powerful God. But as Father. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at different portions of scripture. Where Jesus comes to really emphasize this truth. Now, the revelation of God that we see in the Old Testament is that God is creator. God is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. God is Jehovah. And out of the word Jehovah comes the different compound names of God. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Tzitkenu, right? Jehovah Nisi, God, my banner of victory. God, my provider. God, my healer. And so on and so on. He's El Elyon, God most high. God, my shepherd. So we have different names of God which reflect different characteristics of God. And of course, we study the Bible and we also know that God is omnipresent everywhere He is. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omniscient. He knows all things. And the Jews in the Old Testament, when they would call on the name of God, the name of God was so sacred that they would never utter from the words Yahweh or Jehovah. And in fact, even when they would write the scribes would write the scriptures. Whenever they would come to the word of God, Yahweh, the tetragrammaton in the scriptures, right? God told Moses, I am who I am. So when they were, because in those days they would hand copy the manuscripts. So the rabbis, when they would come to that word, they would put down the pen, go and take a shower. Cleanse themselves. Not a shower. They didn't have shower in those days. Go to the pond and cleanse themselves. They were actually baptized in the pond. And make sure that they are clean before they come and write that word. Because they treated the name of God with great reverence, with great honor, and with great respect. Also because of the stories that we see in the Old Testament about the power of God, the glory of God, the fire of God. And how God differentiated His holiness from the Israelites through the tabernacle, through the priesthood, the animal sacrifices, and so on. Right? So even though in the Old Testament, God revealed Himself as a God who loves His people, Israel, yet there was some distance between God and the people. There was a sense of Formality. Are you following what I'm saying? There was a sense of distance. You could not come to God and experience His intimate presence. The Israelites could not do that. They had intermediaries, mediators called the priests. So, the understanding and the concept of God they have in the new is different from what God is revealing Himself in the new. The old and the new is different. The same God. But there are reasons why 
In the old, God could not reveal himself as an intimate, loving father. And in the new, now God can reveal himself to us because Jesus paid the price for sin. And the sacrifice of Jesus has enabled all of us to be born again of the Holy Spirit so that His Spirit can live within us. And now, we don't have to know God through mediators. We don't know God only through His acts of power, but we know God intimately from our heart. We don't know God only from the book. We know God intimately from our heart as Father, right? So when Jesus comes... He's actually bringing to us the knowledge of God. He's bringing to us the grace of God. He's making God known to us in intimate detail. Okay? In John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God gave the law through a servant called Moses. Try to understand this. When God came down on Mount Sinai, God asked only one person, Moses, to come up on the mountain. Amen. The rest of the Israelites were camped at the foot of the mountain. And God told Moses to instruct the Israelites that they must not break through the barricades and come up the mountain Lest the fire of God would consume them. So it was only Moses that went up on the mountain. The first time. And God, what he wanted to tell Israel, he told Moses up on the mountain. And Moses came down with the law. He came down with the Ten Commandments. So, the law was given through a servant called Moses. It seems like there is some distance. There's no intimacy here. And the Israelites also can see the mountain is covered with a cloud. There's thundering and lightning and even the sound of a voice. Yet they know that they cannot go up. Even if the animals go up, the animals will be killed. So there is a distance. But when Jesus comes, the Bible says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God comes to humanity. God comes to us in the person of Jesus. There's a closeness here. There's an intimacy here. If I send my servant to your house, that's okay. There is some relationship there. But it is not the same as if I send my son to your house. Right? There's a difference there. So when Jesus comes bringing grace, bringing the revelation of God, it implies that there is a closeness There is an intimacy that God wants us to know Him through. Alright? Okay, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Now God here, Jesus, is speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the Jews who always have this concept of God, like I mentioned, with formality. Almighty God, Elohim. Yes, they know God. There's a revelation of God. And yet, it is also with a sense of fear. Okay? It's with a sense of deep reverence and respect, but without that intimacy. So, Jesus is speaking to people 
who have that understanding of God, and we need to be able to understand the context, the way that Jesus speaks, how it is so radical and so different from what they have been taught. All right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay. Let's look at verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Underline that again. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Look at verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Your Father. Now, think about it. Jesus knows God is his Father, right? When he was speaking to Mary, he said, my Father and your Father. But here on the Sermon of the Mount, he's really emphasizing this term, your Father, your Father. He's not even saying, my Father. See, I believe Jesus is trying to make a point. He's emphasizing this truth so that the Jews, whose understanding of God is Almighty God, Elohim, Creator God, Provider, right? And even a God who cursed Israel for their disobedience. So maybe they also have this concept, this idea of a vengeful God, a God of wrath. Now Jesus comes and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And in the gospel of the kingdom, he's always addressing God as your father. Amen. Look at chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Take heed that you do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them that you do not. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father. Your father in heaven. Look at chapter, chapter 6 verse 4. That your charitable deeds may be in secret and your father, everyone say your father, may see in secret will himself reward you openly. Look at verse 6. But you when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father. So how are you praying? Are you praying to God? Or are you praying to your father? Same person, but... The attitude will change the way you pray. Let's say your father, your earthly father, is the judge of the high court. Okay? Can you imagine? Your earthly father is the judge of the high court. But he's also your father. So when he gets up in the morning and he's dressing up to go to the office, he's dressed as the judge. But when he comes back home and he's taken off his uniform, his suit... He's sitting down in a common room, in his pants, in his pajamas, in his t-shirt. He's your father, right? But of course, even as the judge, he's your father. So, let's say you want something from your father. You want some money because you want to go and do some coaching for your exams. So when you come to your father, are you going to come to him as the judge? Or are you going to come to him as your father? As your father, right? At home, while you're sitting around the dining table, are you going to write a petition like to a judge? An application? Most respected judge talking to your father like that? No. You're going to talk to him as a father. 
Right? Even though he's the judge, you're going to talk to him as a father. Because the word father, it immediately joins your heart with that person. There's intimacy there. There's closeness there. There's connection there. There's freedom there. Now, if you, as a son of your father, went to the high court, and there you are in the high court with all the other judges sitting in the same room, and your father is also there, and you're talking to your father, now you would also observe some formality. Right? You would observe some decorum there. You will not just talk to your father as you talk to him when he is in your house, when he's at home. Right? But when he's at home and you're there in that same household, that intimacy is there, that closeness is there. Amen. So the way you view even your own earthly father will affect the way that you approach him. Because when he's in your house, when you're all in the same house eating together, you're viewing him as your father. But when you go to the workplace, you're viewing him as the judge first. Because you're also careful of all the other colleagues. Are you following me? See. So Jesus is telling his disciples that when you pray, he did not say pray to your God. He said pray to your father. And here also is a small teaching on prayer. Who do you pray to? Your prayer must be addressed to the Father. Some Christians are confused. Do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray to God? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Who do you pray to? The Father, right? When you bring your petitions, you bring your petitions to the Father. Can you talk to Jesus? Yes. Can you talk to the Holy Spirit? Yes. But when you're bringing your petitions, you're praying to your Father. Can you say Amen? Amen. Amen. Who is in the secret place? And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Can you say amen? amen? Look at verse 8. Therefore do not be like them for your father. Underline that again. <coughs> for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Look at verse 9. In this manner therefore pray. Our father in heaven. Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray, our Father in heaven, not our God. You're not giving an application to the chief minister. You're not writing an application to the prime minister. You're talking to your Father. So there's confidence there, there's comfort, there's security in that word Father. Do you know that the word Father is a very, very loaded word? There's so many truths and meaning in that word Father. When I say father, I'm also saying provider. Yes? Yes or no? Now, when I call him father, I'm not calling him, oh, provider. How many of you call your father provider? Huh? No, you don't. Because in the word father, provider is already there. It's his responsibility to provide, right? Protector is there. Your father protects you, yes or no? Yes. We don't say, protector. You call up your father and say, oh, protector. Do you say that? No. But in the word, father is also protector included. What about counselor? Your father advises you, yes or no? If you see someone sleeping next to you, just tap them. Okay? 
In the word father is the word counselor, advisor. Yes or no? Yes. In the word father is also the word comfort. Comfort. He's a father of mercies and comfort. In the word father is also wisdom is there. Because you lean on your father when you make decisions for life. Right? But in the word father is also leader included. Respect is there. Honor is there. But in the word father is also friend. There are times you can just be a friend to your father. Right? But he's not your buddy. Even though you can be a friend with your father, yet you know there's a boundary you cannot cross. Amen. See, God wants us to view him as father. Not of course in the same way we view our earthly fathers, but with a more elevated understanding. With greater revelation that we relate to him as sons to a loving father. Okay, And so Jesus is telling the disciples, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father in heaven. So the moment you say, my Father, the assurance of receiving is also higher. Making an application to the chief minister, thousands of people are making. Whether your application will be accepted or not, uncertainty is there, yes or no? But when you apply to the Father, security is there. Rest is there. Yes or no? That he is listening to you. He will read your application. Alright? Look at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So even forgiveness of sins is in the assurance that it is the Father who is forgiving. Not just God, but your Father. Your Father. So even the confession of sins is based on the assurance that you are confessing your sins to a father. Not to a God who is angry. Amen? Alright. Let's go on reading. 18. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Okay? Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Why are you so worried? He's telling his disciples, telling the Jews, why are you so worried about what you will eat, what you will drink? Look at the birds. Do you know that your Father is feeding them? We can say the same to you today. We don't see birds depressed. We don't see birds fearful of the future. Yes or no? It's us, human beings. You know why? Because we're trying to make a future by ourselves. We're trying to understand life in our own wisdom. Fear comes from the self realizing that it does not have the power, the ability, the wisdom or the resources to handle life on its own. So Jesus is telling them, the Jews... Trying to provoke them. Your father feeds the birds. And the birds do not go hungry. See, 
When you understand God as Father, as Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples, there's a security there. Because my Father's responsibility is to provide. So your Father will provide for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go on reading. Look at verse 31. Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. How many of you have needs today? How many of you have financial needs? Right? Any other needs in your life? Hey, God knows your needs. Not only God, your Father. He knows your needs. See, one thing I've realized in my own relationship with my children is this. As the Father... I'm thinking more for them than they are thinking for themselves. I'm thinking more for their education than they think for themselves. Even even though we are imperfect. Yet as father, because we care for our children. Amen. How much more your heavenly father? The Bible says, the sum of his thoughts towards you. The number of his thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the seashore. That means your father is thinking about you even right now. And if you can count all his thoughts about you, it's more than the sand. The Bible says that you are inscribed on the palm of his hands. Like a tattoo. Your name is tattooed on his hands. Every time God looks at his palms, he sees your name. We are inscribed on the palms of his hands. Of course, that's a way of communicating how much God thinks about us. I'm not saying that it is literal. But that's what He wants you to know. That He's thinking about you. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. Your Father. How many times did Jesus say your Father here? And how many times when Jesus was addressing His disciples, would He have said your Father, your Father, your Father? Not only what is recorded, but also when He was sitting down, having dinner, having fellowship with His disciples. Amen. What is Jesus trying to do? He's revealing God as Father. God wants to be seen as Father. When the word Father comes to your mind, what are the thoughts? What are the feelings that comes to you? Security. Alright. Okay. The word Father. What comes to your mind? One person said secure. Next. Come on, anyone? Huh? Compassion? Compassion or impatience? Some fathers are very impatient. <laughs> Come. Huh? Shelter. Shelter. Okay. Okay, good. What thought? What feeling? Come. Come on the ladies. What feeling comes to your heart? Your mind. Protection. Very good. Protection. Come on. Loving. Good. Intimacy. Good. What else? Let's take two more. Sacrifice. Good. Giver. Giver. Okay. So, there are so many, so many truths that can come out of the word father. Okay. In the Hebrew, the word father is the word ab. The first place it comes is in Genesis chapter 2. When God says, the man shall leave his father and mother. So the word ab. Okay. The first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, in 
ancient Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, it's pictorial. That means the letters are connected with pictures. All right? The word father has two pictures to it. One is a tent with a pillar. Okay? And the other picture of a father is an ox. Okay? An ox that is strong. So the picture of a father is these two pictures. Now when you see a tent with a covering, how do you feel? Secure. Right? There's a covering over you. And that's what we see in the Bible. When people talk about Abraham. My father Abraham. And not only did his own sons call him my father. The servants also called him my father. The servants' servants, the servants' children also called him my father. Because the term father was more than just your biological father. The term father was where they found their identity, their source, and the covering from. Okay? So covering. There's a covering over you that's protecting you. And the word father picture also includes this pillar. Like when we built this building, the main things that we focused on was the foundation and the pillars. Because it provides the structure and the strength and the foundation to the house. Okay. So the father is also the pillar of the family. The strength of the family. The foundation of the family. Okay. Now, the word ox... It simply refers to strength. The meaning of the picture ox in the Hebrew language in those days was strength. So the father is the strength of the house. Or let me also say this. Your father is your strength. Your father is your covering. Okay. So the word father conveys all of these truths. Okay, so the word father is not just a word, a term, a title, but it is supposed to communicate strong truths and feelings even to us. But now, because we live on this earth and our own fathers have not been perfect, according to your own life experience, some of you may have positive thoughts and feelings. When you think about the word father. Or some of you also may have some negative thoughts and feelings. In the word father. Some of you, when you say the word father. You may have some thoughts of shame. Fear. Timidity. Negativity. Even though in your mind. You know that the concept of father is good. But because of your own experience with your own father. And not every one of us have good fathers. And in fact, even the good fathers that you may have were not perfect. They failed in certain areas. And in some areas, they hurt you. Okay? So, close your eyes for a moment. And have your paper pen ready. And I want you to be honest. Honest with yourself. When I say the word father... What are the main thoughts and emotions that come to your mind? 
your own thoughts and feelings. I'm not talking about what has been taught. What does the word father mean to you? Is it fear, shame, anger, emptiness, distance? What does the word father mean to you? Okay. Write down the top three. Whether it's positive or negative. And this is not a test. It's not about the right answer. It's about your own answer, your own feelings, your own thoughts. Just write it down. Have you written? Okay, now that's just for yourself. I'm sure some of you may have some negative thoughts and feelings. And negative emotions. Okay. So don't only focus on the positive, trying to make the right answer. Just write whatever comes to your heart and mind. Okay. Now, let's look at some type of biological fathers. Alright, make sure you're taking notes. All of us have earthly parents because the fact that you are alive here on this earth is because you have a parent. Right? None of you came by chance. You had a parent and that's why you are here, right? Yeah, that's also biology class. Okay, so now, even though all of us have had parents, not all of us have had real fathers. A father in the sense of the Bible. Okay, so let's look at some type of fathers and I'm sure you will find your own father in this type of fathers. Number one is the performance-oriented father. Performance-oriented father. This father is the one who approves you only when you achieve, when you do well, when you have succeeded, when you get good marks, when you perform well. He is happy only when you have done well. But when you have not done well, he is disappointed. He doesn't talk to you. He also sulks. This is the performance-oriented father who approves only when you achieve. He shows love only when you have done good works, good marks, good sports, and so on. He shows you love on your performance. Okay? So this type of father will give approval, smiles, and is happy when you do well. Does it connect with some of you, your fathers? Okay? So what this does is that it causes the children to have an unhealthy striving for perfection. Write it down. It causes the children to have an unhealthy striving for perfection. It breeds perfectionism. And it gives the children a, f- a fear of failure. A fear of failure. Subconsciously, the children start thinking that they will not be loved unless they are performing. They will not be loved unless they are doing well or achieving. So this kind of father you will notice is that they are never pleased and satisfied with your work. They only want more out of you. If you score 80, they will say, why not 90? They are only wanting more and more. And the father is focusing more on what? You should have done better rather than what you have already done. So the approval is always based on your perfection. Do you know that many children live their whole lives trying to gain the approval of the parents? 
because their parents are performance oriented. And usually these parents, they criticize a lot. And you see this a lot in tribal children also. They will compare you with your cousins. They will compare you with other kids. The underlying belief is this. If I compare you with your cousins and tell you your cousin is better than you, right? It will motivate you to do better. That's what we think. In some perverted kind of philosophy, belief in a tribal system. See, they are so good. See, he's so obedient. See, your friend is scoring 100%. So we think that if we tell our children that, it will motivate them to do better. But actually, psychology has proven that it actually makes them perform less. It demotivates them. It discourages them. Okay? James Dobson, the child psychologist, he says this. It takes at least 40 words of praise to counteract one word of criticism. So if your father was always criticizing, your parents are always criticizing because you're not doing good, you're not doing enough. Probably in some areas of your heart and soul, you're wounded, you're hurt, you have been affected. Okay. Why is this important to understand? It's because of this. Christian homes, and since I'm talking to a group of people where predominantly you're from a Christian home, Christian homes can be very, very performance-focused. Many Christian churches are very performance-focused. Hey, go to church, go to church, go to church. We keep on telling one another, you must go to church, yes or no? Even not knowing the purpose, why am I going to church? We don't understand that. We just tell people, go to church. If you go to church, you are good. If you don't go to church, ah, see, it's all focused on performance. Read the Bible, read the Bible. Pray, pray, pray. If you read Bible and pray and fast, you are good. So it's all about your external performance. And if you don't do that, something must be bad. The look of disapproval. That voice of criticism. What does that create? It creates this sense of lack in you. This sense of disapproval from people, from your own family. So the way to gain approval is to come to church. The way to gain approval is to come and sit for prayer and fasting. So you just come and sit. Your mind is roaming around everywhere. You're sleeping. But you think that just because you came, the pastor is happy. So when you do things to please your pastor, you are being performance oriented. When you do things to please God, you are functioning from a performance oriented mindset. And sometimes because you want to gain approval of this person and that person and this pastor, you know what some Christians do? They will serve everywhere. Usher, greeter, ministry team, evangelism team, cooking team, sweeping team. They want to do everything and they don't have time for themselves. They don't study. They are just in church doing everything because they want to gain approval. They want everyone to say, good job, good job, good girl, good girl. And they feel happy. They find the joy in that. Now what happens is that it leads to burnout. People get tired. People get burnt out. Because it's too tough living every day of your life. 
trying to please people. Yes or no? Yes. God doesn't want us to live from this mindset. I have to please God through my words today. I have to please my father and mother. I have to please my friend. I have to please the pastor. I have to please the warden. I have to please everyone. My gosh. How will you live life? And if someone is not pleased and they look at you disapprovingly, you lose your spirit. You lose your joy. You become discouraged. So now you try to do something to please them again. It's too tough. Too much striving. God wants us to live from this place of grace. Where because you believe in Jesus, the Father already approves you. Already accepts you. Your relationship with the Heavenly Father is not based on performance. Do you know that? It's based on Jesus' performance. You are accepted because Jesus obeyed. Is it because you obeyed? Or is it because Jesus obeyed? It's because Jesus obeyed. Amen. See, the love that God has for us as a father is agape love. Can you say agape? It is free, pure, unearned, undeserved. God loves us because God is love. That's His nature. He loves us because He chose to love us. Not because you are very loving. You are very lovable. Sometimes we look at little children and say, oh, so cute, so cute, right? And then we see some very ugly children. We don't even want to touch them, yes or no? So the love of the uncle was actually inspired by the cuteness of the children. We see some little children so cute, we want to pick them up and love them, right? But when you see some, there are some ugly children also. We're not motivated to pick them up, yes or no? So was the uncle loving? No. It's the cuteness of the children that motivated the uncle to express love. But the the love that God loves us with is not like that. God doesn't say, oh, so cute, let me love you today. Oh, great job, let me love you today. Oh, so beautiful, let me love you. Oh, so holy, let me love you. No. God's love for us is not motivated by us. Anything we do anything we are. God's love for us is motivated from His own nature. Even when we are unlovable, He chooses to love us. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.